to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com and subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. So to my way of thinking, there's two kinds of people. There are people who are gardeners and know how to grow their own food and totally enjoy it. And then there's the other camp that are going to be gardeners. Um, growing our own food and having a garden is one of our greatest um, things that we enjoy. Um, I can't imagine not having a garden, actually. Um, I grew up, my parents always put in a summer garden and we grew our own food. So I actually don't know life without gardening, um, which is kind of funny to think about. So this time of year um, in the spring here, in the month of May, where we're at in the Pacific Northwest, is kind of the major planting month um, of the gardens around here as for your summer crops, especially. So we um, just last weekend actually put in the majority of our garden um, for all the the summer crops. Um, previously, a little bit earlier in the year, um, in April actually, we had put in the end of April, beginning of March or excuse me, <laughs> not the beginning of March, end of April, beginning of May, we put in our onions, um, potatoes, and our beets. And then um, garlic is something that we actually here put in in the fall and then harvest in the summertime, usually about mid-July. But for the majority of our summer plants and our, and our large, big part of the garden, that goes in the end of May. Now, depending upon where you um, are, you'll have to know your last frost date as to know when to plant your um, direct sow and your summer plants. So um, generally here, that is April 29th, but the soil isn't quite warmed up enough to put in all of our summer plants at that time. We've actually had a pretty warm May, so we were able to put in our stuff a couple weeks earlier than usual. Normally, we plant all of our direct sow things, seeds. Um, and what I mean by direct sow is where you're not putting in transplants. You're taking the seed and you're planting that in the ground. So if you hear the term direct sow, that's all that that means. So we um, put in the majority of our garden a couple weeks ago, and the soil needs to be 60 degrees. So not your air temperature, but the soil temperature needs to be 60 degrees for most um, seeds to germinate. So we um, had some really warm days and the soil got like, actually we had some record breaking days here in May. We had um, the beginning of May, we had some days that got up into the nineties, which for here in the Northwest Pacific Northwest, that's pretty rare. Um, so the soil got really nice and heated. And then we had some rains come through that were still some warm rain. So it just made the perfect germination time to put our seeds in. And so when you're doing direct, so um, there's a couple things for your bean seeds and your beet seeds, you'll actually want to soak those overnight um, for the best germination. So um, you'll probably, if you've listened to my stuff before, you know I have um, a love affair with Tar Heel green beans, the pole beans. They are our favorite vegetable um, to grow. My family and a lot of the families here in the Pacific Northwest actually um, our transplants are hailed their um, ancestors from North Carolina. So the, the mountains of the um, Appalachian Mountains. And this is where the seed came from. And they brought the seeds with them when they came out west and migrated, which a lot of this happened in the um, during the Great Depression, the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, um, kind of that time period, that era when the logging was really big here. Um, a lot of the families came from North Carolina to get jobs in the woods. So that's how my family came out um, in 1941, actually. My dad was five years old and my grandparents came with two other families and they all came on the back of, uh, they converted a, 
a truck, actually. So they took the back of the truck and they made it into a flatbed and then they put walls up on it and a roof and they put bunks in it. And there was three families. So there was um, about, um, I believe we counted it was 16 people total. And they had um, a little cook stove, a little wood stove that they would um, pull off on, you know, wherever they were at traveling cross country along the side of the road. And they would pull out this cook stove and that's how they would cook their their meals on it because, you know, it was during the depression and money was really tight. That was one of the reasons that they were moving. And so they weren't stopping at restaurants and, you know, there weren't the the fast food (laughs) that we have today when you're going cross country. So they would cook the majority of their meals right there on the side of the road. And then they would um, put this, you know, stove back up and away they would go. So I can't imagine traveling um, in one small back of a bed of a truck with 16 people. That boggles my mind. Um, I tell you, the the pioneers, it was amazing the things that they did when when I compare it to what we do nowadays um, and what they went through. So they, um, their garden seed was one of the few things that they brought with them because, as you can imagine, 16 people in the back of a flatbed truck, there wasn't a whole lot of room to pack <laughs> very many things. So um, garden seed was one of the things that they brought with them, and that's where we get our heirloom Tar Heel green bean seed from, which is a pole bean. And so it's one of the things that we plant and we save the seed ourselves. Um, and so the a bean seed... Um, uh, once you've saved the seed, you have to let you let it dry and you let it dry out and, and you save it dried. So um, to cut down on the germination period, which if you're new to gardening or not sure, germination just means from when you put the seed in the ground to when it actually sprouts and, and it starts to grow and you see the leaves and the stem and the roots. And so that means it's germinated when that happens. So to shorten that germination period, um, if you soak your bean seed, and this works really well for... Um, I know some people soak their corn seed um, and then also their your beet seed actually um, works. We I had much, I did some beet seed. Um, it was going to be really rainy when I put it in and that was something that we put in earlier in the year um, because beet seed you can um, sow. It's a cooler weather crop so you can put that in sooner. And so we, um, I did two plantings of the beet seeds and some I did not soak and then some I did soak and the ones that I soaked germinated much faster um, and I had a better germination rate meaning more of the seeds came up from what I planted so beet seeds are something that is a a good idea to soak before you put in the ground Um, but with beet seeds you don't want to put them in the ground when it gets really really hot because if it's too hot they might not germinate they actually prefer the colder weather so that's something to remember um, when you're doing those cooler weather crops is they actually don't like the soil to be quite as warm. But when we're talking about our warm weather crops, such as, um, you know, beans, corn, all of your summer squash, cucumbers, zucchinis, crooknecks, patty pans, and then your winter squash, so you've got your pumpkins, butternut, acorn, um, spaghetti squash, you know, all of those things um, really like a nice warm soil. So um, I soak those seeds overnight. And so you'll um, just in lukewarm, just regular room temperature, lukewarm water in a bowl. I just put my bean seed in there overnight and some water the night before planting and let them soak and get really rehydrated and you'll see them start to swell up. So they're um, using, you know, swelling up, they're rehydrating. And then I put the, we plant those um, then after about a 12 hour soak, usually just overnight is fine. And so the, our soil was really nice and warm. Now I will give you one caveat. If your soil is not warm enough and you soak your bean seed, they will rot. So you need to make sure that your soil is warm 
Otherwise, the soaking is just going to make them rot all that much faster if it's too cold and wet, which we have happened here, had happened here a couple of times um, in past years. So the soil temperature was really warm when we put them in. And this was the fastest germination I have ever had this year on our beans. So we planted them and within seven days, all of my beans were up. I mean, their first leaves had popped up. They had broken the surface of the soil. Um, and almost every single one, I mean, I didn't have holes in between, you know, where some had, had not germinated and some had, and that was, um, the three variety of beans that we actually put in this year, all of the beans. So having that nice warm soil, my goodness, um, we got spoiled this year. My stuff is coming on super fast. In fact, I planted our spaghetti squash and that came up in four days. Um, so I was, I've been really excited with the weather this year from a gardening perspective. It's been great. So if it's your first year doing a garden, um, you know, one of the, the easiest ways that a lot of people find to go is if it's your very first year and we have some, um, past, um, episodes on doing a gardening, um, gardening prep, getting your soil ready, planning your garden, deciding what to plant and all those. So if you've missed any of the past episodes to get you caught up, just go to melissaknorris.com. Um, click on the podcast button. And then under that is listed every episode that we've had. And so you can go through and click on those listen to the past episodes. And then you also will get the show notes or the resource section on the episode. So things I mention um, on air, then you'll be able to click and go to the articles um, and get get more info and go a little bit deeper with that. So the show notes are a great place to visit. Um, if you're listening at melissacanoris.com under the podcast button. So we do um, an all heirloom garden, and I've talked extensively about why we use heirloom seeds and why I think everybody should use heirloom seeds, um, the benefits of them, and just how awesome they are. <laughs> so you can catch those episodes. Um, I also have actually a, a free 40-page ebook all on heirloom seeds, heirloom gardening, planting to save money that you get um, for free when you sign up for my newsletter list. Um, so you can do all of that on melissaknorris.com and, and take it. Um, advantage of all of those. So when you're doing your garden, um, a lot of people like to do transplants instead of doing direct sown. And transplants can be a great thing um, for tomatoes, peppers, um, those kind of things that have, especially here, if we tried to direct sow tomato seed once it was warm enough to plant, same with peppers, um, our growing season is too short, which means the temperatures in our first frost comes too short for us to really get any fruit off those plants. So um, the tomatoes and pepper plants that we put in, I actually started back in um, March, actually, indoors under a grow light. And I <laughs> I didn't know if all the seeds would germinate because I, I was just inside the house with our wood stove heat, um, which can, you know, vary a little bit. So I didn't have a heated greenhouse or anything like that. It was just in my, in my living room, actually. And so I planted um, 35 tomatoes and believe it was 12 pepper seeds because I thought about half of them would germinate. That's kind of what I was going for was the half rate. Well, all of them germinated. So <laughs> I have had since March 35 tomato plants in my living room under grow lights and um, 12 pepper plants. So they I just spent the past uh, 10 days hardening them off. So that means um, the first day you put them outside for an hour and then bring them back in. And then each day you increase the time that you have them outside. Because um, if you put them outside from going in a controlled environment to, you know, the wind, varying temperatures um, and the elements, then you're going to shock them and they're going to die. So we have to harden them off. So just got done doing that. And then we're putting up a high tunnel 
um, which is similar to a greenhouse. Um, it's the ground is ground level. And then above it, you have your plastic, except um, we roll that are going to be rolling the plastic the sides up so that the air will circulate through. So I'm not going to have one. It's not going to be heated and I'm not going to have um, fans or electricity on it. So it's just going to be an off grid greenhouse, essentially, um, where you just use the sun, the solar through the plastic um, to heat it. And then the wind is going to be the natural ventilation as we open the doors and roll up the sides to a certain um, height to let air ventilate through. So we're um, putting that up this week and there will be um, blog posts and podcasts on that coming up. So if you've ever wanted to extend your growing season or if you're like us and you live in a cooler climate and you want to be able to grow some more of the um, things that like the hot weather um, that kind of a thing, a high tunnel, it's a great way to do that. So my goal is to have in the high tunnel is to be able to be harvesting um, fresh vegetables clear up till Christmas time. I'm hoping maybe all the way through, but it's our first year with it. So we'll be kind of playing around with that. But that's where the tomatoes and peppers are going to go uh, during the summer months this year that I've got. So I'm going to have a ton of tomatoes. And so I can't wait. Um, my goal is to do all of our own salsa, can the stewed tomatoes, um, make tomato sauce, spaghetti sauce and ketchup. So I'm hoping with those plants that I'm going to get enough of harvest to be able to do all that. So we'll be having um, articles and radio um, shows on preserving the harvest and and going through that with those. So if if you're interested in that, uh, stay tuned. That will be some upcoming ones. So we um, are going to be putting um, the plastic actually on the framework for the high tunnel this weekend. And then I'll be planting all of the tomato plants and the pepper plants out in the soil. So I'm really excited about that. So for the, um, for the regular garden, for doing your direct. So um, I would recommend, you know, make sure that your, your soil is at temp and then soak your seeds overnight as long as the ground is warm enough and then plant them in. And, um, you know, we are using, we do an all organic heirloom garden at our home and we try to grow, um, during the summer months, I actually, it's fantastic. I don't spend a whole lot of money um, at the grocery store for vegetables or meat this year. We um, we raise our own beef cattle, which I have a episode on if you're interested in raising your own beef or what that entails, looking into it, that you can catch at mostcanors.com under um, the podcast button, raising your own grass-fed beef. So you can check that out. So we raise our own beef, so I don't purchase that from the store. And then we have um, laying hens. And so we get all of our eggs that way. And then we just did our first batch of meat chickens. So we raised our own meat chickens and then we butchered them. And that was all done last weekend. And actually, that's going to be um, one of our upcoming um, episodes. So stay tuned on if you're interested in raising your own livestock, your chickens, um, and then butchering them. That'll be one of our upcoming episodes. And then we also purchased two pigs. Um, We're going to raise pigs again. We've done pigs in the past. And so with the rising cost of pork, um, we decided we were going to do that too. So now we have two pigs. Um, So we're kind of, our goal is to be as self-sufficient as possible, um, you know, with our food, knowing where it came from, what goes into it. And so raising a garden is a great way to do that if you can't do livestock, because I know not everybody has the um, one, you might not live in an area, you might not have the property to do your own livestock, but you can pretty much grow all of your own food. So um, one of the things that we like to do is um, I'm learning how to do companion planting. So because we don't use sprays or chemicals in the garden and it's organic, um, you know, sometimes there can be pests or different diseases that different plants are susceptible to. So knowing how to companion plant is you're pairing the plants with other plants that they benefit one another. So it's kind of like, you know, nature and God's way of um, pest control done naturally. 
So there's a few things that don't like to be planted next to other and others that don't care so much. So it's kind of, I've been um, researching that. So um, when we put in our beets, beets actually don't play well with beans, with green beans. They, um, they will um, stunt one another's growth. They don't do well. So when we put our beets in, beets do really well next to onions. So, um, and beets are fine with potatoes. So we put in our potatoes and then we did our beets and then I did my onion sets. And so I made sure that they weren't next to anything that, um, would stunt their growth or that they would, um, share the same pests and it would attract more. So that's another thing. And then, um, some things that do really well together. And of course is, um, with our beans, we love the beans. And so they do really well with your squashes, um, and then with your corn, in fact, you may have heard of before the terminology three sisters planting. So this is where um, the um, Native Americans used to plant and they would put a fish head in the bottom when they were planting in the hole. And that was because as that would rot, it would um, it would provide nutrients for the plant and fertilizer. And so they would put some fish heads in the, in the thing they would plant and then they would put their corn in. And then they would put their green beans in and then they would put their squash in it, which was usually pumpkins, winter squash variety. And so what would happen is your, your corn would grow up and then that would be the trellis or the pole, the support system for the green beans. So the green beans would then climb up the stalk of the corn and then they use the winter squash and that would vine out and provide cover on the soil. And so then that would be their weed control and it also would, um, you know, so they had, it was a method of that they could use, you know, one piece of land and plant three crops on it. So those still, it's true in companion planting today, your beans and your corn and your squash do really well together. And so that's, um, we plant ours next to each other. And then with the green beans too, um, one of the things that we've discovered is when the green beans first sprout up, and this can be true sometimes of the summer squash, but we've noticed it more with our beans is when, and beans are something that you want to plant in rows. And generally, um, we plant ours about five inches apart when we're putting the seeds in about one half an inch to an inch depth of soil. Um, and so when they sprout up, birds like to pull them out. I don't know if when they're flying that they look like a, a little worm or a bug or I don't know if they look like something good. And so the birds, unfortunately, will come down and they'll pull the sprout out and then they don't even eat it. They just pull it out and they discover it wasn't what they thought it was. And so then you have all these poor little weathered green beans starts that are scattered all over your garden and dying. So they can be quite pesky. And some years they seem to be worse than others. So we've discovered that if you put a string and string it right above like an inch above the row where your beans are planted right over the sprouts that for some reason the string deters the birds at one it disrupts them when they're flying over they can't see it and then it's harder for them to reach down and grab it because the string is there so we found that the string actually works really well and so as soon as I plant the beans then I just string the string right over it and then after they've reached a couple inches tall then we just take the string away and then put up our support system for the pole beans um we've used a couple different methods you can either stake you can just put a single stake next to each bean and this is for pole beans not bush beans you can put a single stake next to each bean and then it will send out its tendril and its vine and it will just um, climb up it in a um, circular pattern and it will just vine around it and go up. Um, sometimes when you do that, if when you're picking the green beans, if you pull too hard, then you'll knock the vine loose off the stake and they'll just all slide down to the ground. So there's kind of a disadvantage that way, but we've done the pulls before and they work pretty good. Um, and then another way, and this is usually the way that that we do it if you're not using the... Um, 
the corn method, which I have not done the, the corn method um, personally. I know other folks that, who have. Um, I think you would need to start the corn earlier so that it would be high enough when the beans come on that there would be enough of the corn stalk there for it to climb up. Um, and so the method that we use is we put two poles, um, just usually fence posts actually on the end of the each row of the beans. And then we take string at the bottom couple inches above the ground and then um, at the top about three and a half feet tall and then I take um, and and one thing is because these are the two strings that are going to be holding the weight of everything so you want to make sure um, you can actually use wire you want to make sure that it's strong enough to hold the weight of all your bean crop Um, and then you we take just regular old garden twine and I make um, we start at the end and go all the way down and I make like a V um, one regular V and then an upside down V. So we just go from the top at an angle diagonal to the bottom, wrap it around and then up again all the way down. And this makes a really great easy trellis system um, for the beans. And they've done really good on that support wise. Um, You know, air gets flowing through there. Great. So that's probably the easiest way in what we do for our pole beans, the beans that require it. And so if you're planting a pole bean variety, you do, there's a reason that it's called a pole bean variety. You do need to have something for them to climb up on. Um, If they don't have something to climb up, there's been a few times where they've been just going crazy and we've gotten behind and hadn't gotten the poles up yet. They will stop growing um, or they won't grow as fast. So it's been amazing. They were up and once you see them start to send out their tendril, their vine, you'll see this long little skinny thing come up out of the top of them. Then, you know, you need to get your support system in. So what we did is we were laid a little bit. And it was so funny because we got up the trellis system. And I'm not kidding you. Overnight, they shot their vine out like an inch and grabbed onto that trellis and started climbing it. So if you don't have your trellis system up for pole beans and they are a pole bean, you'll need to get that up and know that you're going to have to pull. You, you can't treat them as a bush variety. Um, but the one of the reasons that we like to grow the beans so much in the garden and that we plant them is they're a very pro- prolific crop. So um, they grow all year long. We plant the end of May and then they are ready to go. And start picking usually um, about the end, mid end of July, all the way through the beginning of September. And we usually do two rows, approximately um, about 10 to 12 feet long, two rows of that. And that gives us enough beans to eat fresh. Um, I canned 80 pints of green beans last year. And then also enough to save for all of our seed bean. Um, and then to have some dried to use as dried beans as well. So, and that's just off two rows. So beans are a really great um, bang for your buck in your garden space, so to speak. Also, gr- beans are really good because um, we also practice crop rotation. So crop rotation um, is something that is really good for your soil. And I recommend every year just taking a picture of your garden once the plants are up and documenting where you had each plant in the soil and the space of your garden. And so beans actually help introduce nitrogen back into the soil where a lot of plants take nitrogen out. So beans are great to crop rotate where you had any of your um, brassicas last year. So your um, cabbages, cauliflowers, broccoli, um, Brussels sprouts, anything of that nature can tend to take those nutrients out of the soil. And so beans are great to put in where you had those last year. And they're really good for the soil that way. Um, and so we just, beans are one of our, our favorite ones. And then your summer squash. So when you plant squash, winter and summer squash, um, 
So those are planted in hills and not rows, which is sometimes a little bit different. So to plant in a hill, you just um, hill up some soil. And we usually just do ours about a foot high by about a foot um, diameter circle. And you're going to want your hills to be approximately at least three feet apart, um, usually five feet apart from the other hills. And so on the top of the hill, you're going to put in five seeds um, on the circumference of the top of the hill. Um, your five seeds and then you're going to let those sprout and then you're going to pick the three best plants that are growing and you're going to thin them down to three and that's important because they get really big and they vine out and so they need this space so you're going to thin those down to your best three and then we usually um I usually just do about two hills per variety because let me tell you, two hills of zucchini, you're going to have so much zucchini you're not going to (laughs) know what to do with. Zucchini is another very prolific um, plant. And so, you know, around here, we always joke, you know, you open your door in the morning and if your neighbor's got zucchini plants, you know, don't leave your car windows down. They'll fill your car with zucchini or, you know, you'll have a box on your porch as a surprise and stuff. So zucchini are a great prolific plant and you can use them in so many different things. Um, and then we really enjoy, um, butternut squash is one of our favorites. And so we do the butternut squash. And so your winter squashes, which is your, your pumpkins, your butternut squash, um, acorn squash, spaghetti squash, um, those kinds of squashes. So those come on and generally they call them winter squash because they're picked the later in the year. We usually do ours at the end of September and you know, they're ready when you can't pierce the skin with your thumbnail when it's good and hard. And then you want to get them before the first hard frost and then you bring them inside. And they're also great because they, they have really good storage properties to them. So winter squash are great things to do in your cold storage, root cellaring, that kind of thing. Um, so you can just pick them and bring them in um, and store them in the pantry, the garage, if you have a basement, root cellar, whatever. And they'll stay for a f- at least a few months, if not longer that way, without any work on your part. So winter squash are great for that and um and then another thing if you're short on space look for and this is really um in the heirloom varieties where you have the really good variety is you can find more of bush varieties of your winter squash so for instance we do um a bush variety acorn squash um i think it's table queen acorn bush squash that we get it's an heirloom squash and so it doesn't vine out as much it's more compact so if you have a smaller garden or if you even want to try that in a container a large container um, look for the compact bush varieties if you're short on space Um, that's one of my biggest tips and then um another thing is too is when you're doing your garden is you want to think about your watering system so a lot of plants um this is especially true with tomatoes and peppers don't like overhead watering they don't want the foliage the problem with overhead watering and we have done overhead watering um pretty much exclusively for the garden but this year we're going to be investing in some soaker hoses um, because the overhead watering puts all of the water on the foliage of the plant when you really want the water down in the root and down in the ground Um, and then this can um if it sits on the leaves and stuff overnight can help introduce fungus um, and some different diseases just because it gets too wet and then you don't have the deep watering down at the root level. So we're going to be doing some soaker hoses this year or you can water by hand, um, you know, with a watering can. I've also seen people have dug, like um, say you have four hills in a square pattern. So in the middle of them or between two hills, they'll take um, like a milk jug or just like a, um, a bucket or a big planter and then put holes in it and then they'll dig and put that at ground level between the two hills and then they'll fill that all the way up with water and then the holes allow that to slowly seep out down at root level. 
So that's another way if you've got some containers or can get your hands on some containers that you can um, take advantage of watering the roots and not having overhead sprinklers. Um, so, you know, we're just super excited for the garden this year. And I hope that this has given you some tips um, on how to get your garden going and that you'll be growing your own food. And so if you, um, for more information, you go to melissacanors.com. I have an entire um, under homestead life gardening section. And I show, um, we've got articles on how to plant beets, how to plant potatoes with hilling um, and companion tips and photos on how to do that, um, how to plant your green beans. And so we go a little bit more in depth into each of those um, those things. And so the, the great thing is, is um, once you start planting is you probably won't go back. You won't go back to buying it from the store, at least if you can't help it. So I really hope you get bit by the gardening bug and that if you haven't, that you start it. And if you if this is your first year gardening, um, I'd love to hear about your adventure. Um, so you can send me an email and all the contact info is at melissaknorris.com. And make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simple life.